Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends and legal business initiatives that help you manage your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for legal, insurance, compliance, and tools of the profession. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Here's the host of the Legal Toolkit, Jared Correa. Welcome to another episode of the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Summer's over, but uh, at least we can all dwell in our misery together on a rainy day, date of recording. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Correa, Law Practice Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP, and today we're set to tackle another legal topic like we were Dick Buckus. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP, visit our website at masslomap.org or like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash masslomap. Before we start, I'd like to take some time to thank our sponsors. Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code TOOLKIT. Our other sponsor is Clio for web-based practice management. Find out more at GoClio.com. On the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so your practices will become more and more like best practices. Today on the Legal Toolkit, we're going to address the effect that global economics and changing demographics have on attorneys and their practices. You may think that has nothing to do with your practice, but I'm going to talk to somebody today that's going to attempt to change your mind. My guest is Susan Cartier-Liebel, the founder and CEO of Solo Practice University the number one web-based educational and professional networking community for solo lawyers and law students. It is Susan's personal mission through education and authorship to change the way that law schools educate their students and the way that the legal community receives solos. She likes small projects, as you can tell. Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, Susan. Hi, Jared. How are you? Great to have you on. So let's just dive into the discussion here uh, by framing it. You like to use the following analogy when you're talking about attorneys who don't quite understand how the global economy and those changing demographics affect them and their practices, that they're trying to sell sunscreen in a snowstorm, and they wonder why they're not making any money. So what exactly do you mean by that? Well, Jared, I, I don't want to come across as the Grim Reaper or anything like that, and I'm not sure this <laughs> this, this uh, particular episode is going to be for the faint of heart, but let's get into it, because... Anyone who follows my blog, you know, at Solo Practice University knows that, you know, I'm really personally fascinated by everything relating to global economics and changing demographics, and I actually have to exercise a lot of restraint. But um, the, the thing that we have to understand is that, you know, lawyers are knowledge workers, and, we're, and we are individuals with services that we sell. And when the economy, you know, the economics of the country changes profoundly, it's going to impact your law practice. So if you're not consciously aware of what's going on around you, you're going to be left selling, trying to sell sunscreen in a snowstorm and wondering why you're starving. And I, I'll give you an analogy, but let's take it to the beach since we just had Hurricane Irene. You have two business people. They open up a, a shop on each, you know, uh, right in front of the beach, and their goal is to sell, you know, to service the tourists. You know, they've got the suntan lotion and the umbrellas, the lounge chairs, you know, the snacks, the Diet Cokes. One has iPod in their ears listening to their favorite music, the things that make them happy and tuning out the rest of the world. And the other one has got the weather channel on, and he knows a storm is coming. So he starts introducing, you know, bottled water, disposable ponchos, batteries, flashlights, coolers, <laughs> mucklucks, whatever you want, anything that's mm-hmm. needed, you know, emergency supplies. And he, and he also is, you know, using plywood on his windows. 
The key here is you're going to make money if you know what's coming down the road. You have to know what's going on around you in order to adapt and stay in business. And that's where my analogy comes from. Oh, great points there. Uh, perfect analogy, I'd say. And none of these episodes are for the faint of heart, so you're in a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned attorneys as knowledge workers. Just what is a knowledge worker and why does it help attorneys to see themselves in that way? Well, this is probably a, a, an extremely critical term that attorneys have to adapt for themselves, and I'll explain why. First of all, the definition of knowledge worker is really kind of an elusive term, but it was coined by Peter Drucker over half a century ago. And what he intended the term to describe, and, and this is where is key, is the one who is the successor class to factory workers. But today, we can define knowledge workers as people that are participants in the knowledge economy. Now, the knowledge economy kind of suggests an economic environment where, and this is key to attorneys, where information and its manipulation are both the commodity and the activity. Hmm. Now, today, knowledge workers comprise a plurality of the workforce. Imagine this. At the beginning of the 20th century, unskilled labor accounted for about 90% of the workforce. Today, that figure is closer to 20%. So as a result, the knowledge workforce has become the linchpin to any organization's success. And as a solo practitioner, it's the key to your success. So, as an attorney, if you see your role in society as one who has information and the knowledge to manipulate for the benefit of your client, in other words, you have the education, you have the experience, you've got your bar license, and you've got advocacy skills, you can't be fearful of the legal zooms of the world. Hmm. And that's what's going on today. People are very fearful. It yeah. helps you to understand how to work with your clients to market to your clients, and how to bill for your services. Now, Ron Baker, who heads the Verisage Institute and travels around the world teaching big law firms about value pricing and knowledge work, in his quest, as, we, as you might be familiar with, he's, he's on a major quest to rid the world of the billable hour. <laughs> he actually has over eight hours of master classes on value pricing based upon knowledge work at Solo Practice University. I have to plug him because he is phenomenal. Oh, go um, ahead. He really <laughs> educates value pricing and knowledge work. Hmm. So you have to consider yourself as an attorney, as a knowledge worker, and this will place you outside of this idea that you're competing with the legal zooms of the world, and it'll help you position yourself better as you build your business. That's a fascinating analysis. Um, so, so let's step back for a second and try to apply some historical context to this. I love history, and um, so you, seem like you're, <laughs> you, you seem like you're primed to give us a history lesson, so let's get into it. How does the current economic crisis in the United States fit into that context of the full economic story, the history of the republic? Well, the key is you have to understand that we are in uncharted waters today, and everyone is extremely concerned about themselves which is naturally what we want to do. We want to be concerned about ourselves. And there's a lot going out there that, you know, the country is going to default and everything's going to be, you know, we're going to be in hysteria. Well, we have defaulted in the past, even though people don't want to talk about it. And the most recent was when Nixon broke the link with the gold and the dollar. But um, our reality is we won't default. What will happen is we will end up not being able to borrow money to pay our obligations. And 50% of every dollar that the U.S. government spends to pay its obligations is borrowed money. And that money goes to our clients. 
our clients who are on Social Security, our veterans who are on disability, uh, the people that get Medicare, Medicaid, and all of this. That is the huge thing. Now, what people talk about today also is, you know, we just came out of a Great Recession, and could it be, you know, a Great Depression, you know, coming on? That has yet to be seen. But there are two things which are profoundly different, which affect us as lawyers. Mm-hmm. In 1929, okay, this is, let's compare to 1929 because that's what most people think about. Um, there are two things which are profoundly different than 1929. First, during the Great Depression, and this is important, there was no middle class to destroy because the middle class didn't exist. The middle class was a post-World War II phenomenon, and it was born out of, number two, the post-Great Depression big money and corporations poured their wealth back into this country because there were no other emerging markets. There weren't, you know, there wasn't Brazil and China and India, you know, drawing their attention. Cheap labor and other incentives to achieve a global position or record profits were not readily available back then at a low cost. So after World War II, we saw the creation of the middle class for many reasons. But the two events that are particularly noteworthy that impact us today is back then there was a reduction in the production of costs of food, making us truly the land of plenty, and there was an abundance of jobs being created through manufacturing on our own soil, which put multi-millions to work. And with job creation and for the first time disposable income for a significant portion of the population, our economy boomed and we created the middle class. Now, it's this burgeoning middle class that had the money to pay for and sustain the livelihoods of knowledge workers, like lawyers. So that is why the history lesson is so important as far as what happened in the past. This is great. This is like my favorite podcast ever so far. Okay. All right. (laughs) We can't concentrate on history the whole time, however. So uh, let's look forward now. So I'm going to ask you to put on your uh, your prognosticator's cap, your Nostradamus suit, your fake beard. Um, (laughs) So what happens when we come out of this economic downturn or recession or new depression, or, or perhaps more appropriately, when we enter the new economy? It really is the new economy, and, and I've been saying that actually for a few years. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So so if we look at the Great Recession today potentially becoming the Great Depression, when we re- emerge from it, in my opinion, it's going to be profoundly different, and one of the biggest is going to be the distribution of wealth is going to be permanently altered. That's the biggest, biggest thing. Um, so in the Great Recession, with the Great Recession and world events, including natural disasters, which is Hurricane Irene, we're getting tornadoes and the fires in Texas and so on and so forth, all of that is now forcing our food, pri- food prices up and all the other items we use on a daily basis like electricity, oil, and they're going through the roof, eating up our already greatly reduced disposable income. That's mm-hmm. huge. And yep. with this Great Recession, we are seeing the destruction of the middle class which has fueled the economy for the past 70 years. It's forcing the majority of those once in the middle class to be top-tier, lower class, or even entering, you know, poverty levels, okay? And But the issue here is the corporations that were responsible for breathing life back into this country after the Great Depression in 29 now have options to increase their profit outside our borders. The overseas labor is happy to work for pennies, and here's the key. There's more than 3 billion newbie capitalists on the other side of the world earning the money once earmarked for our workers, and they're spending. So our corporations will ultimately build other countries 
while they become even richer, as well as that upper echelon of our society who profit from it, instead of rebuilding the U.S. and the middle class is going to be but a memory. And that's scary. Oh, absolutely. It turns everything on its head. Um, so this is fascinating stuff, obviously, and I don't think it's something that attorneys sit down in their offices and think about every day. But they have to. <laughs> Although they should start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully this podcast is a step down the road of getting them to do that. So let's take it down to a m more basic level. Um, how should all of this affect the way that attorneys view their potential clients? especially for those lawyers who serve the middle class, which you believe is disappearing. It, it is disappearing, but we're going to get to some good stuff at the end. So don't worry. It's not all doom and gloom. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that's right. good. <laughs> Most importantly, they have to understand. And, uh, and sometimes you just understand with numbers, okay? You have to understand their unspoken struggles. They're not going to tell you what's happening with them. They may not even be fully aware of how they fit into this big picture. They just know that life is changing. And the way to become client-centric, just between you and me and everyone who's listening, is to, say, <laughs> is to look at yourself as a prospective client and what's happening in your life and your family and your friends and their kids and everything else. This is going to give you a good, a good picture. But let's, let's throw some statistics out there because people like to know that it's not just me talking. <laughs> Right now, only 58% of Americans have a job. Hmm. That's scary. Only 56% mm -hmm. of Americans have employer-provided health insurance. It's amazing. The median yearly wage in the U.S. is $26,261, yet the average American household is carrying 75600 in debt. Um, since 2007... American families have are approximately $7.7 .7 trillion poorer because of this great recession. And 44 million Americans are on food stamps. And here is the other one. According wow. to Newsweek, close to 20% of all American men between the ages of 25 and 54 do not have a job at this moment. Hmm. Wow. These are your clients. Now, yes, are there niche markets that, you know, you're immune from? Is there some gold coast of professional practice that, that doesn't, this doesn't matter? Sure, there are. But we have to look at the majority of practitioners out there. And here's the thing. Americans are being told they need to accept that they're going to suffer a decline in their standard of living relative to the rest of the world. And that all comes into play with everything I just said previously, mm -hmm. you know, um, it just people have to understand that as this country it, here here it's a good thing there's a billionaire out there named Howard Marks doesn't make it less truthful that he's a billionaire but there must be something he knows about making money he said <laughs> in addition to balancing the budget and growing the economy i think we have to accept that the coming decades are likely to see us standards of living decline relative to the rest relative to the rest of the world unless our goods offer a better cost-benefit bargain, there's no reason why American workers should continue to enjoy the same lifestyle advantage over workers in other countries. That's, that's the reality. It's a great equalization, and we're not braced for it. We're not aware. We're, not, we can't, we're having a hard time adjusting to it because we were the haves. The have-nots now are becoming the haves, and we're becoming the have-lesser than we used to have, and that's difficult. So, um, you know, uh, that's, that's just part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is fascinating stuff, Susan. And I hate to stop you here because you're on such a roll, but we got to take a break. 
So if you if you're listening out there and you haven't started building your bomb shelter yet, come back. <laughs> I'll have more with Susan Cartier Label. Now a word from our sponsors, Carbonite Business and Clio. Backing up your business files can be a hassle, and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site, and each employee can access their backed-up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code TOOLKIT. That's Carbonite.com, offer code TOOLKIT. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. All right. Welcome back to the second half of this highly engaging episode of the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm joined by Susan Cartier-Liebel, the founder and CEO of Solo Practice University. Uh, We're going to get right back into it here. Um, Great stuff in the first half of the podcast. Second half promises to be just as good. Uh, Susan, despite the fact that the national economy, as we know, it crumbles around us, you do see some hope for solo and small firm lawyers. So what can they do to leverage their knowledge of the fact that there's a new economy coming into existence? All right. Well, one of the things, first of all, I don't want people to think I have all the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, of course not. But this is the positive part of the podcast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I do have some some interesting thoughts, okay? Mm -hmm. I was reading an article from the New York Times called The Startup of You, which discusses the changing mentality one has to have to succeed in this current world that we're existing in, and it's trying to focus on the growth sectors of our economy. So what they were doing is focusing in on like the Facebooks, the Amazons, the you know, the the companies that do the Googles and so on and so forth. And what they said, and, and this is all adaptable to lawyers, is that you have to use the pressure of the recession to become even more productive 
by deploying more automation technology, software, outsourcing, anything that you can use to make your services better with reduced headcount and with reduced cost of operations if you have employees thinking of health care and pensions and pension liabilities. You know, and so while many companies are still hiring, as well as law firms, they're becoming increasingly picky. And they're looking mm-hmm. for the same kind of people, and this is key, people who not only have the critical thinking skills to do the value-adding jobs that technology can't, but also people who can invent, adapt, and reinvent their jobs every day in a market that changes faster than ever. And that applies to the legal market. You have to be willing to adapt, invent, value-add to that which technology cannot do in order to survive in a market that changes faster than ever. And our world is changing rapidly. And I'm bringing up the legal zooms at this juncture because so much out, so many people out there are prognosticating that the legal zooms, the, uh, the rocket lawyers, the large firms that are all, you know, form driven and use outsourced, you know, uh, companies from other countries are going to simply take lawyers and marginalize them in this country. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with them. I I do see a change um, in because of the distribution of wealth. You're going to have the majority in a lower tier and then the uber wealthy. Um, so there is going to be some changes, but but that actually follows the the change in distribution of wealth. So what it means is going back to being that knowledge worker and capitalizing on that and recognizing that technology can take you so far that when you as a lawyer add that, that value add that technology simply can't do and you can substitute in forms cannot do, you mm-hmm. will be able to streamline your practice and build a profitable, profitable practice in this new economy. And and there's another half of the there's something else. This is you got to take this home with you. Legal problems will never go away for your clients. As a matter of fact, they're probably only going to increase. <laughs> but the delivery of solutions is what is ever changing, and you have to understand what your clients are up against, and that's half the battle. The other half of the battle is the lawyer understanding that they're going to have to rewrite the script on their professional lives. That's a huge one. They're in uncharted waters. We're in uncharted waters. And many law schools, you know, they bought into law school believing that it was a ticket to some type of high-paying fantasy, and they're waking <laughs> up to a different reality. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we can play the blame game, and, you know, there's class action lawsuits out there against law schools. But if you're listening to this, you know, podcast, and you've you followed me before, you know I'm a firm believer in being practical. And casting blame doesn't put food on your table, pay your student loans, or build a solo practice which enables you to create a livelihood. Understanding what you need to do to compete and then implementing it as a professional does change your future. Yeah, and that's a great way to think of it in the world of uh, legal Zoom and the new economy. Um, so last question here, so we'll make it a good one. <laughs> uh, one of your thematic messages to attorneys is that they should market from a client-centric perspective. We've talked about that. Uh, now, for those attorneys who come to see through the eyes of their clients, in which service types are there potential growth opportunities for those folks? All right. Well, I love this question because this, these statistics are going to blow people out of the water. <laughs> Great. <laughs> As reported in 2007, and I don't have the most recent statistics on this, Mm-hmm. Businesses without paid employees, known in the business industry as lone wolves, had receipts of $951 billion 
and they made up approximately 78% of the nation's 26 million-plus businesses. All right. And while there's no way to know right now how many solo practitioners are counted in as lone wolves, I know that that it's increased significantly uh, since 2007. But here's something that's going to make people really stand up and take notice when they think about their practice areas and understanding their clients. Today, I read another statistic that everyone needs to pay attention to. 31% of our entire labor force, that's nearly one in three eligible workers, that's over 40 million people, are self-employed. And this trend is increasing with an expected 40% of workers to be self-employed by 2019. And this includes the overwhelming majority of lawyers. So what people need to understand is with all these self-employed people, most people do not want to do their own legal work, but they're forced to because of misperceptions, misperceptions about cost and lack of education as to the alternatives which are emerging, such as value pricing, unbundled legal services, working with lawyers who act like little birds whispering in their clients' ears, guiding them through their own representation. But it's not done in a vacuum. Lawyers have to be exceptionally cost-conscious themselves when they build their practices. They have to be very streamlined to keep costs down so they can afford to offer different pricing models for their work while still making a profit. And that's the reason I discuss demographics and economics so much, because this is what we're going through, and you've got to be primed for what's going on. So I want to just talk a little bit about unbundled legal services, because there's a lot of discussion about it, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is. Mm -hmm. What it is is breaking down of given legal processes into parts. So each part can be delegated to a lawyer to handle and paid for by the client, or the client can handle themselves based upon their desire or their budget. So a lawyer's ability to offer unbundled services can change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and by practice area. And some practice areas don't lend themselves to it. I mean, I'm not sure that I'd want to be unbundled as a, as a criminal, criminal you know, defendant. I wouldn't want <laughs> unbundled services, but that's yeah. just my perception. But the thing is, many lawyers see unbundling the, pro- unbundling the legal process as minimizing their value, you know, and taking from their profits. Um, and that's, where they're going to have an issue because that's where the worlds collide, okay? Most private practice lawyers today provide customized solutions for individual clients at high hourly rates. That's expensive for the client, and it's not scalable for the lawyer. And then you have the democratization of information and forms on the Internet, client demands for more cost-effective solutions, and the increasing encroachment on the profession by non-lawyers, which we're hearing a lot about, using new technologies that will result in significant changes to the legal profession. So this is where the worlds collide. This is how demographics and economics play into your practice, how you as a knowledge worker have to adapt your practice so that you stay relevant against all these technologies and these large companies coming in with forms and needing to educate your client as to why you have a myriad of options within hire, you know, within hiring a lawyer. How a lawyer can work for you to compete with the with the legal zooms. So if you well, see yourself as a knowledge worker, you understand the economy, you get where your client is coming from. You'll be the one on the beach with the uh, with the uh, business that knew to sell water and and uh, <laughs> batteries and everything else because you saw what was coming down the road. <laughs> well said, Susan, bringing it all home. So the first half, we scared the hell out of everybody. And we're bringing it back in. Uh, this has been great. 
Um, and that'll do it for this edition of the Legal Toolkit. Uh, remember that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. My special thanks today goes to Susan Cartier-Liebel for taking the time to appear on the show. So, Susan, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you or about SPU, how would they go about doing so? They can go to solopracticeuniversity.com, which is our site, um, or they can contact me at susan at solopracticeuniversity.com by email, and I would welcome anyone who wants to chat with me. Great. Thank you. And don't forget to join us next time. We'll have another great internet radio program right here on the Legal Toolkit. Help control the pet population. Have your pet spayed or neutered. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit. You can subscribe to the RSS feed and hear Jared every month right here on the Legal Talk Network. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.